2: Hello everybody and this is the Wild Wild podcast back again into the radioactive future wastelands <laughs> of um, the future And last time we were in 2020, we're travelling backwards and forwards in time again in this episode But before we get to our final destination, let me introduce uh, uh, well, ourselves, I suppose uh, My name is Adrian and I'm happy to be here with my co-host and, uh, what did I say you were called? The Man of a Thousand Podcasts. Well, I
1: thought you were going to say co-conspirator, but okay, yeah, sure. Rod,
2: well, that as well. Uh,
1: it's Rod Barnett. Hello, Rod. Hello, Adrian. Thank you for uh, thank you for the kind introduction. I, too, love delving into the, uh, the post-apocalyptic future where we're all irradiated and none of us are fertile.
2: Yeah. What was it that Criswell said? We are all of us interested in the future because that is where we will spend <laughs> the, rest the rest of, of our, our lives. lives exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm just yeah, I'm just reading. The, there's a new book out on Criswell at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah, it's mainly um, just full of his. Uh,
1: oh, his 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 predictions. That was a book. Yeah, he published a book of those while he was still. Very much yeah. in the public eye, way back when,
2: yeah. Yeah, no, this is this is a new book that's like about his life, but also it's just got loads of quotes of his mad predictions. It's pretty funny. Anyway, so I'm thinking about the future quite a lot at the moment. And um, yeah, so we've got slightly out of sync with recording these episodes and then releasing them. So yesterday, <laughs> at the time of recording, the new episode only went out yesterday. So this one will be... Eventually I will catch up, but I'm, yeah, I am the so we're kind of speaking from the past here into the in this future. episode about the future, yeah, into the future. Um So, yeah, I think last time we spoke about some exciting new announcements um in Italian genre Blu-ray releasing uh, that you were involved in. I think since then there haven't been any more that I'm aware of. <laughs> not that i'm aware no
1: no no not really not any not any strange european stuff coming to blu-ray that i'm aware Mm.
2: of that uh, is is of note and if so i apologize Nothing to be, nothing that you need to plug at the moment.
1: No, no. Uh, I mean, there is uh, there are a couple of things in the hopper that I can't talk about quite yet. Yeah. I don't know why, considering in one case a particular Blu-ray has been announced, but it is but but the extras haven't been announced. So, oh, but but it's, it's not, a not a, yeah, but it's not a um, it's not a, a European genre film. It's an no, American genre film, so that's a different thing.
2: Hmm. Very good. Yeah, and I've got a couple of things that I. Did nearly two years ago that are about to come out, but they haven't been announced yet. So mm. I guess we'll, we'll just we'll just plug all this stuff eventually when it does come out. Yes, um, the uh, it's probably worth also just mentioning. There's a couple of exciting bits of genre-related news um, that I'm aware of. So the BFI over here, the British Film Institute, have just announced a Dario Argento season mm. in May, where they will be screening restored versions of 17 Dario Argento films. Wow, that's so I, almost... I haven't counted. Is that all of them? I yeah, I don't, don't know. That's If if
1: not but, all of them, it's close.
2: Yeah, um, so they're going to be doing restorations, um, showing restorations of all of his films, and Dario Argento will be there for some of the screenings and events and stuff, so that's pretty cool. I will do my best to get along to some of that if I can. About ten years ago they did a gothic season at the BFI, and they did a... Um, I think it was Deep Red or Suspiria, and Argento came to do the introduction. But back then, I was I wasn't really into Argento. <laughs> so, but I happened I happened to be in the BFI that day because I was doing some research. So I went along and just stood by the green room before the event, so that I could see Dario Argento in the flesh. So I did see him come out and say hi to some fans, and then uh, go into the event. But I didn't actually go, and I'm kicking myself now, of course. But um, yeah, so this is a, a chance for me to make amends, hopefully, and, uh, and get along to that. So that'll be really cool. Um, and also, just a couple of other things I saw this week. Indicator made a couple of interesting announcements. They're releasing on Blu-ray and UHD Black Magic Rights. Oh. And uh, oh, what was the other one? I'm going to have to just uh, briefly look this up because I've forgotten. But it was t- there was another one that was like a Jello. Uh, Black Magic. I mean, these are all, all very often. These are films I've never seen, so I've never seen Black Magic Rights. Oh yeah, the other one is Cold Eyes of Fear.
1: Oh yeah, Cold Eyes of Fear, the Gestaldi yeah. yeah, the, uh, the um, Castellari film. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, Castellari, and Black Magic Rights is uh, what's his name, paul I can't uh, pronounce we, his name, but I'm yeah, telling you now, Ronaldo, it's, a, it's a crazy film. Yeah, yeah, Renato Polselli, who we just talked about last time, because one of his films is in this box set that you've got. Oh yeah, them, right? that's true. That was the monster of the opera, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so this stuff just keeps coming. Thank goodness we live, in, a- we live in we live in sometimes completely amazing times. Yeah, halcyon days. Um, speaking of which, so last time the film we spoke about, 2020 Texas Gladiators, was only apparently available on a VHS, but our film this time has actually had a Blu-ray release, which is uh, several which of is them actually nice. Well, yeah. So shall we get into it? Let's talk about this week's film, 2019 Escape from New York. I mean, (laughs) 2019 After the Fall of New York.
1: Yes, actually, wouldn't the full title be something along the lines of After the Fall of the Planet Earth? I mean, why are we focusing on New York, for God's sake? (laughs)
2: 2019 is um, a year when, I think they said it was 10 years earlier. It's, I don't know, 10 or 20 years since the Atomic uh, War. Uh,
1: Far too short a time for as much devastation and mutation and strangeness as we are witness to in this film, I think. Yeah,
2: this is a... I mean we've had, we've had crazy many times on this podcast but this one is really up there <laughs> and uh, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack with this film but before we get into the plot why don't we talk about Sergio Martino Oh gladly I'm I'm trying to remember if we've actually had a Sergio Martino um, film before on the podcast. Well, you we, know, I, mean, he's, I don't think it would we seem have. weird if we haven't.
1: We have not as a matter of fact. Uh, we've come close. Oh. He did. After all Martino did direct and have a hand in just about every genre you can imagine. Well yeah. Uh, but we've not amazing done amazing guy. Yeah. But we know we haven't done anything that he's directed until this. That's film. That's
2: quite impressive because um, yeah like you said he's done a bit of everything. Mm hmm um and i mean do you have any looking back at his extensive career i mean he's still we were still working up until quite recently but do do you have any favorites oh god any favorites i have a list of favorites that's a <laughs> lots least of favorites f- yeah
1: at least 10 <laughs> films long strange vice of mrs ward i think is an astonishing film uh mm-hmm. your vice is a locked room and only i have the key uh yeah. all the colors of the dark torso yeah
2: Um, Island, uh, (laughs) island of the fishmen, or whatever that one. I do, I do have much,
1: much much love for that film. Jules Jules Verne, uh, by way of uh, (laughs) of the Italians. It's 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 amazing. I do love it. Uh, Mountain of the Cannibal God. I I will. Yes, Cannibal God is great. uh, uh, He did one of my favorite of the very last spaghetti westerns in seventy seven. Manana or uh, man called blade or yeah, man called blade is another title for that. Just amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised we managed to miss him with the Polizioteski films because he obviously did Suspicious Death of a Minor, Silent Action, Violent Professionals. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was, um, yeah, pretty impressive. I think I've met him. I know I say this occasionally on the podcast. Really? <laughs> I've got such a terrible memory. I'm pretty sure I met Sergio Martino because he did uh, Mrs. Ward, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I went, I'm sure I've told this before, I went to a conference in 2015 in Rome that was based entirely around Mrs. Ward and a bunch of people involved were there including him and uh unfortunately not Edwidge finnett although she was due to turn up but then she didn't come but george hilton was there as well and yeah a few other people it was pretty cool but again this was early days of my foray into italian cinema so i didn't really appreciate just how great it was to meet him because i would probably only seen a handful at that point
1: I think it's I think it's I think it's funny that it would be George Hilton who turns up. I mean, uh, Hilton yeah. was was married to to Sergio Martino's cousin for a long while. Oh right, okay, yeah, and so he's they 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 were family for a long period of time, and then of course, uh, Miss Finich was married to his to his to Sergio's brother. Uh, oh yeah, for, for a period of time. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> he he made a bunch of the comedies, didn't he? His mm-hmm. brother was exactly uh, comedies. Yeah, so Sergio Martino is a legend and um and you know he's he often pops up in on all the Blu-rays that now I've got interviews with him and stuff he's quite happy to talk about his uh, his life and uh, the book that I'm using this season after the world ends has also got an interview with him where he talks about 2019. Yeah. So we can uh, dig into that a little bit. Um but the the cast I I was almost going to say we should just start calling this the George Eastman season <laughs> because here he is again. Yep. 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 Playing big, playing big ape, big ape. Yeah. There's um, not that many other people in here that, that are recognizable really. Was there, it's, it's, quite an unknown cast.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. Was there
2: anybody that you're aware of in here? Uh,
1: only after the fact. I mean, uh, of course the, the lead actor is, is, is a famous as an, an American, uh, uh, who wasn't really an actor? He was more of a he was more of a model who ended up making four very very interesting films in the eighties before his career uh, went went away. And uh, and of course he's how do you even pronounce his name? Here's the horrible thing: is I just watched two days ago. I just watched an interview with him where he pronounces his own name, and I, I made a note of how he pronounced his name. And now I've of course forgotten it. So oh yeah, yeah,
2: I, it's such an unusual surname, Michael Sopkew. I think
1: I think Stop you're Q? I think you're close. Q. Uh, if, I don't know. Anyway, he's uh, yeah. He's uh. He's in four. He was in four incredible films, and then went away. He now. He now. He now. Yeah. He now ever since then, he's just done different things. And uh, apparently is is fairly successful with glass bottles. He distributes spe- glass bottles that, oh, right. yeah, that are designed to protect the uh, okay. the contents from uh, from sunlight. So they're used for, for medicinal things, and oh, it's weird. <laughs> uh, anyway, he uh, yeah, we we have him. But I'll be honest the uh, the other actor in the film who it turns out I, I I've always I was always impressed by with her in this movie, but I didn't realize how extensive her career was is uh, Anna Kanakis.
2: Oh, okay. Who's one of the bad guys. Is she the one that is, like, second in command? Right. In the...
1: With the long, dark hair. Yeah, yeah. She's a... Uh, well, for, besides being an absolutely gorgeous woman, I mean, she... She was she was crowned Miss Italy in the year 1977, uh, and apparently there was some controversy when she was uh, disqualified to be Miss World in 77 because it turned out that she was only 15 years old at the time, and you have to be older than that. Oh. Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, she's she's okay. amazing, and she had an incredibly long career. She was briefly married. Well, briefly. She was for like three or four years. She was married to Claudio Simonetti.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I have met, I have met him.
1: So have I wonderful guy. Love <laughs> you yeah, to death.
2: He's, yeah. He's always on tour. That guy.
1: But, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, she has had an incredible career and now I I yeah. look at all the stuff that she was in and I'm surprised that I haven't seen more of it but just so much of it since the the 90s has been uh, you know been long stretches on different television series and then sure. Italian movies that just don't seem to travel outside of Europe no. so
2: But she did do um The New Barbarians so she was part of that trilogy Right right So that's this this was not her first rodeo no. in The Apocalypse
1: Not at all Yeah
2: she's cool Um, there's also the other female lead is uh, Giara played by Valentine Monnier she's French because I believe this was a French co-production yes correct so uh, I don't really know her I think she's primarily just in French stuff but she is in that legendary film that never got finished Grizzly 2 Oh, she
1: is. Oh, that's okay. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize. Which, I did not realize that. Which I
2: believe has now been finished. I read, I'm sure I read something about that recently. Well, I
1: don't know if it's been finished. I do know that you can watch it. I just haven't done yeah. it yet.
2: <laughs> not sure I really want to, but um, <laughs> oh, I do.
1: I just know I'm going to need to be in the correct mood.
2: Yes, isn't uh, George Clooney in that or somebody like that? Yes, a very young
1: George Clooney yeah. has a small role in that. Yes.
2: <laughs> There's um And the cast here, there's another connection with last week's films, obviously George Eastman, but also Hal Yamanuchi is back, who he was the uh, Japanese uh, martial arts expert that was part of their gang mm-hmm. in the last film. And he's back here, basically dressed as Fu Manchu. Yeah. So, uh, you know, not conforming to stereotypes at all. No, there's but, uh, a, there is no
1: latent uh, <laughs> or obvious racism built within the story structure in any way, shape, or form. No, no.
2: Yeah, there's some quite odd characters in this film, aren't there? There's also another guy back from the uh, the Bronx Warriors, I think. Romano Pupo. Does he play the? Oh, yeah. Is he the guy? Is he the guy with the eye patch? Uh,
1: uh, was I he? Ratchet? He's, yeah, he's, I can't. Ratchet. Uh, let's yeah. see. He actually. Uh, if memory serves, I'm, now I'm trying to remember the names of his of the two guys that go along with our main character.
2: There's, there's Ratchet and Bronx.
1: Yeah, Ratchet is the guy who uh, uh, is the big bald guy. So, yes, you are correct.
2: And he's also in The Commander, which um, is one of Antonio Margariti's uh, kind of men on a mission films. Mm-hmm. And he's in The Last Shark. The Great Alligator. He's in a load of cool stuff. This guy. Yes, he was. Oh, and the heroin busters. Excellent. Which we've seen him in. So, yeah. So I mean, quite relatively, sort of small scale. No massive names, but they are people that have been working. Right. I mean, George Eastman's probably the most recognizable face in the whole um, in the whole film. Although we should, we should, of course, also mention Edmund Purdom, president of the Pan American Corporation. Who I believe wasn't he the, um, the the high school principal in Pieces?
1: Uh, the the he the the, co- the college uh, the, the the college yeah like, uh, or whatever it
2: is the college oh, the, yeah it's not high school is it not, uh, the college president or whatever they call them yes the dean the dean the dean Jeez, i couldn't remember
1: how can i not think of that ne- that word that was pathetic yeah but the dean. Uh, but yeah yeah yeah. Yes, edmund Purdom. yeah, this is during the long stretch of edmund purdom's career when he was essentially doing anything and everything uh i mean he would go from things like the winds of war a prestige television miniseries here in the states to you know don't open till christmas in, in in oh yeah in england and you'd be just looking at him and going what what is driving you what is having <laughs> this effect Money. on
2: you did he also have a gambling problem
1: i do not know i kind of want to <laughs> know because my, my god his career is so varied i mean you know yeah. he, he did uh, he did a number of Jess franco films in the 70s and uh uh, it's just you, you. You do wonder. I mean, one one day, one day he's working, you know, on a BBC television play, and the next he's doing White Slave Ship. I <laughs> what, what what are we what are we doing here? It it, it doesn't matter um, to me. He's he, he's yeah. he's certainly a good enough actor, and he's fine in this too. But uh, it's uh, yeah,
2: it's a it's a well rounded career.
1: That's uh, there. You go. How's that?
2: Yeah. So yeah, this is a fun film, and this. Uh, on the surface appears to have a pretty decent budget Mm -hmm, yeah um because they so they go to look they're on location for a start not only in new york but there are sequences down in in nevada i guess but they're definitely out in the midwest i think they're in monument valley
1: yeah and it's those beautiful uh those beautiful vistas that you know most of us are who've watched westerns at least American made westerns are are uh, familiar with. I mean, they Ooh. they uh, they turn up in all the, the old John Ford westerns, and they even turn up in Once Upon a Time in the West for Sergio Leone. And it was one of those yeah. wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful moments when you realize, oh crap, they're actually on location. But that is something that Sergio Martino, strangely enough, was able to do fairly frequently. That's um, true. He had he he had access to money sometimes that um i don't think a lot of other producers of his day necessarily had um it's kind of amazing he and castellari both seem to be able to get into america especially in the uh, early to mid 80s mm. even through the late 80s and make some uh, on location stuff there
2: was nightmare beach was that his uh no
1: the uh, that was nightmare that beach mean? was something that was uh concocted by oh wow okay how do i start with nightmare beach uh nightmare beach that's the um, one that's
2: in Florida, or, yeah,
1: that has uh, some Umberto. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, Umber- Umberto Lindsay.
2: Oh yeah, that was it.
1: Um, uh, connections, and uh, it, it, that's an interesting film all on its own. But yes, uh, <laughs> Nightmare Beach uh, has Umberto Lindsay and uh, a couple of other people who were involved in it. Um, oh yeah, that was it. Yeah, uh, don't don't get me wrong. That one was shot in Florida. So you do, you know, there was a there was a period of time where uh, several different states, Louisiana and Florida. Uh, were mm. were especially uh, eventually carolina was doing the same thing the the mm. one of the carolinas we have too many carolinas there should just be one um <laughs> uh, but the there, there was a ooh controversial statement uh no the uh the uh they were they were passing these laws in these various states to make it easier for production companies to come there and shoot and uh so i don't know if they you know they were able to get some deal to come out to shoot in monument valley but it does add a feeling of legitimacy uh mm. to american eyes at least to realize oh they're they're actually there yeah and i We're guess it ju- does kind of counteract some of the um shall we say less than convincing special effects <laughs>
2: miniature miniature work we get when we get to oh. uh when we get to new york yeah there's some great miniature work in well there's a lot of miniature work in this film. <laughs> 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 how great it is is debatable but it's um yeah it's sort of it is very uh antonio margariti uh sort of reminiscent in places um let's have a go at the plot shall we so uh the year is 2019 20 years after the firestorm so there appears to have been a war between two main groups you've got the america um effectively mm-hmm. and the, or the pan-american federation and then the Urax, which is some kind of Europe and Asia and Africa coalition. Right. And they, they're they the ones who've bombed the world and destroyed it. Um, so Manhattan is now a ghost island, a mass of concrete between the East and Hudson Rivers, under the control of the Eurax, a military monarchy, using what few survivors and children of the atom remain to experiment on as part of a genetic engineering program. And then, uh, oh, yes, yeah, sterility has become the norm for 10 years, and the twilight of mankind is in sight. So we're in, it's quite an interesting setup. So, not only are they surviving in this post apocalypse world, but also now everybody's sterile. Well, well at least I mean, all the women are sterile. Un-
1: they're a little unclear about the, the extent of the sterility. Are we? Is it just the women who have a have a problem, or is it men I, as well? Because that's what Big
2: Ape would have you believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they never they never nail down whether or not. I mean, granted, don't get me wrong. If all the women can't you know can't reproduce, then it doesn't matter if the men are sterile or not. But yeah. it does factor into the uh, not so surprise ending of
2: the story. So yeah, yeah, we're in sort of children of men territory here, right? Um, but of course, the main inspiration for this film is clearly escape. Escape from that city. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This is this is
1: clearly the body of this film is. I mean, you know, they try to they try to give us some Road Warrior imagery, some Mad Max yeah. Two imagery at the beginning of the movie,
2: which is uh, actually really good. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. So we we meet we meet this character Parsifal, played by a guy whose name we can't pronounce, uh, Michael Sopcu. <laughs> And uh, so he's called Parsifal. Actually, I wanted to. I this. Uh, I wanted to mention this because the name has epic and historical um, meaning, and mm-hmm. it's sort of interesting that they've they've chosen this name. Yeah, because Parsifal is actually part of the legend of uh, the Holy Grail, and it goes back to I looked this up on Wikipedia because I'm, I'm a good researcher. Um, <laughs> and basically, Parsifal is a young man who is a pure fool which means that he is innocent, an innocent good man who slowly starts to understand the world. So he's pure enough to be able to go and and bring back the grail. So there are these legends about Parsifal. Um, and then Wagner actually wrote an opera about it called Parsifal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so and, in and the they, legend... And, and in this film, they do kind of
1: take a pass at uh, giving uh, some details about this guy that would mm. lead you to believe that he could kind of fit that mold because yeah. in that that battle we see that that contest the beginning he does win <clears throat> what looks to be a, a woman who just you know now is is his and he doesn't mistreat her at all he as a matter as a matter of fact he sets her free with
2: yeah with
1: um all the money that he won from the contest so there is this attempt to paint him as a, a kind of a paladin a kind of really yeah. you know a, a knight who uh is honorable to a degree
2: yeah, it says here that he is a former elite soldier of the Pan-American Federation. Mm-hmm. And he survives by wandering from camp to camp across the desert, participating in cruel death races. And it, I mean, it is, it's a cross between Mad Max 2 and Death Race 2000. A little bit. Uh, where you've got these two spiked, tricked out cars smacking into each other. Um, it's actually really good. <laughs> it's actually a lot surprised. of fun. I, it, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's clearly just in a quarry somewhere just outside Rome, but it looks great. And uh, so he wins, like you said, and they give him this girl. They ride off on a motorbike and then he lets her go. But then he gets taken by some people in a helicopter who have these lasers that knock people out or something. And uh, when he wakes up, he's in Alaska. Could you describe for the listeners what Alaska looks like in this film?
1: It looks like a a cotton covered miniature. That's what it looks like. I'm willing to go along with it because I love stuff like this. It's not a it, mm-hmm. for me. It's not a, a huge hurdle to accept this kind of stuff. The same way, it's not a huge hurdle for me to accept some of the the you know the the silly uh, not quite a, not 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 quite excellent shall we say cityscapes of New York that we get here soon. But the um, the it, honestly, it, it's effective enough, and on, it does feel like they're trying really hard to kind of broaden out the feel of the mm. story. So we're traveling from the desert southwest to the frozen norths, and then yeah. we're going to New York City. And, of course, there is a part of me that knows that at, at, after we get the, uh, the, the the plot in motion here, it's like we're on a, we're on a clock and yeah. this this stuff takes these these are far distances people I mean to get, from, to get from Alaska to, to, to New York that, that takes some time even if you're I flying so I'm
2: they've got to bring this all in under 90 minutes but yeah and, exactly uh, yeah there's a lot to cram in so the president of the Pan American Confederation Edwin Purdom has selected him for a top-secret important mission apparently their computer has identified that the last fertile woman left on earth is in New York and they're sending him in um, Snake Pliskin style mm. I, was, I was almost expecting him to be like it would be really funny if there'd been a scene where he's walking through New York down what down an alley and coming in the opposite direction is Snake Pliskin and they just kind of <laughs> they just give each other a nod as they walk past you know? <laughs> yeah brief, brief and wave and a nod yeah. yeah they've both got their missions um, so he's been sent in uh, but unlike Snake Pliskin, he's not going to be killed if he doesn't do it he's, he's going to be rewarded because this film is actually really quite sci-fi more so than the previous films. They are planning to reboot mankind somewhere in Alpha Centauri so they've offered uh, Percival a seat on the, uh, the spaceship that's going to take this woman and all the remaining members of the Pan American Federation off the planet mm-hmm. out into space to start all over again so um, yeah so it's quite an interesting so that's his motivation is to help save mankind and get out of get out of dodge um, leaving the earth to just die off slowly under the control of the Urax I guess I a yeah. bit bleak but there you go but he's not going to have to do this mission alone he's got two friends who are, well that they give him two guys that are going to go with him so one is a guy called Bronx who as the name suggests knows New York really well <laughs> and uh, his yeah, family yes. were all killed. His family were all killed by the Eurex, and he's quite annoyed about that. But he knows the city and can help him to get around. And then also this other guy um, we mentioned before called Ratchet, who's got... Um, oh, no, wait. Am I yeah, getting this that... wrong around? Yeah, no, Ratchet, is he's got an eye patch, yep. and he's really strong. Bronx, I was getting it confused, because Bronx has got one hand missing. Yes, he And he's got... Um, Like a metal grabber for for a hand, which comes in quite handy, uh, no pun intended, later on. (laughs) In the film, you know, if
1: if you'd not brought my attention to it, I would not have realized that you were hunting there.
2: (laughs) I didn't do it on purpose; it just kind of came out. So anyway, so that is the setup. So with Bronx and Ratchet, he's got to get into Manhattan, but like they say here in the book, getting in was never the tricky part of the plan; it was getting out. Yes. So he's got to get in, find this woman, which I don't think they ever tell him where to find her or what her name is or what she looks like or anything like oh, that. And
1: they're really, 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 really,
2: really, really, <laughs> really, 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 really vague about how they know
1: that there yeah. is a fertile woman and that they know where she <laughs> is. Really vague. Yeah. I should stress that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so then, I mean, the rest of the film is just, yeah, adventures through, um, through New York meeting various gangs my, making friends uh, fighting the urax he gets ca- taken by the urax along with this woman that he's met that he says is the woman they're looking for but it turns out she's not and that's Giara. Uh-huh. and they get taken into the um, well I mean you have to ba- admit
1: you, you could get fooled I mean because she's yeah. a, a pretty blonde woman who's yes. not covered with the scars and pustules that all these other people are cover, covered in so yeah. it's like well wait a minute maybe she
2: is <laughs> she'll you know? do she'll do so they get taken to the death star and then we get like a whole basically a whole star wars section of the movie um with with sets that look like they're left over from the humanoid
1: yeah well there's yeah this is true
2: um and it says in the interview here with sergio martino he says i don't think star wars influenced me in any way and as to mad max i must confess to never having seen it so I mean believe that if you like. Well but... he says,
1: he said he said in another interview that he'd only seen uh like certain scenes out of yeah. uh Mad Max two. And yeah. uh I, I can kinda of believe that because the, the there is this there is this desire sometimes to to try to avoid seeing things because then you can't repeat them unconsciously. But mm. when you're when you're wallowing in this in this very <laughs> small pond, there's only so <laughs> many there's only so many ways that you can stir up the mud. And so it mm-hmm. turns it turns uh, it turns that uh, it turns out that there's very there very few ways that you can do these things that aren't going to seem reminiscent of other larger budgeted films. Yeah. And let's just pause for a moment to marvel at the wonder of the mid '80s. where we could have movie after movie after movie like this i mean we're going to cover 10 of these things and we could probably cover another 10 and drive ourselves insane don't get me wrong Uh but the the there was a period of time i was a teenager when these films were coming out when these things were hot off the presses being shown in movie theaters or the the the, they were the new thing. These were these things could be counted upon, regardless of how well they were made or what how how large the budget. You know, they were they were going to be able to make their money back. This was a genre that was hot, and there was that period of time in my teenage years, um, as I went off to college, where I started to notice. Man, there seem to be fewer of those things. I thought this genre would live forever. No, it did not. <laughs> it, yeah. it gets it gets the occasional little resurgence over the the past few decades, for which I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong, but I could, I would have thought when I was um, in my teenage years that the post apocalyptic genre was essentially going to be. You know we're going to have twenty years of them overtaking the Western and becoming the the predominant way in which we spoke about uh, action cinema, and man, I was just I was just wrong. My my appetite yeah. for these things is apparently much larger than the general public's.
2: Yeah, there have been some fun kind of deliberately retro returns to the genre. Did you ever see Turbo Kid?
1: No, I know it's supposed to be fantastic, but I have still not great. watched
2: it. Yeah, and that's definitely right in this world. Okay, uh, That's a good one to to watch out for. Um, yeah, I mean, Martino, he kind of points more towards Blade Runner as being an influence. But also, interestingly, when he was filming at DePaola's studio, he said that they had got their streets of uh, Once Upon a Time in America there. Mm-hmm. And they'd had a big fire a couple of years earlier. So he's filming in those kind of burned out, once upon a time in America buildings for some of this, which is pretty cool, but I also love all the stuff in the scrapyard um, there's one where the, early on in the when he first gets into new york there's a big chase through a load of old smashed up buses yeah. which is really cool
1: and i don't know i don't know if that was in uh, somewhere in America or, or in yeah. Italy or where it was it's hard to tell from the from, yeah. the from the buses but it it's an impressive location and it's one of those things where I, I wonder if it's a a situation where they, they found the location and realized, oh, we could stage a chase here. Let's do yeah. this here. Because it works really well and it looks fantastic. It and it, once again, adds to the feel of the film being larger mm. than it really is.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. Because, like I said, we've got this kind of sequences inside the uh, the evil urax headquarters that are all very much Star Wars Imperial uh, gleaming surfaces and yeah. blinking yeah. lights and... <laughs> All that's missing there's not many robots oh no yeah which reminds me because in this world uh cyborgs are are now illegal so they've been cyborgs before but now they've been like they're not allowed which again is perhaps the blade runner element creeping in maybe but yeah. um yeah so he um yeah so he's got all this stuff going on he's got to find this woman he he meets uh a few different gangs <laughs> including the uh, big apes gang which they're basically dressed like new romantic pirates which you know (laughs) they they could have they could have been yeah yeah. they could have been in an adam and the ants uh music video basically the way they're dressed they're all dressed like they're in the circus or something it's pretty cool but they've mutated and they're starting to turn some of them are just wearing ape masks and then you've got george eastman who's just got really hairy but yeah, they're like a bunch of mutants. I think is what we're supposed to think they are. And, and there are
1: all these different tribes, which of course, yeah,
2: is the influence from, of uh,
1: instead of, of gangs, warriors. they're kind of like tribes of different types of mutants. So that's the the yeah. warriors' influence creeping in, and
2: mm-hmm. yeah, which is where our uh, Fu Manchu guy comes in briefly, mm-hmm. the rat eater. Oh yeah, that sequence with the rats. So yeah, there's this group. There's this one gang who eat rats and they come through with these just long poles with spikes on the end and i'm yeah you know, i'm not sure how i'm pretty sure they are stabbing real rats at points they are there's no there're no two ways about it those are yeah, so. th- this
1: this is not a film that uh, on on which you could state that no animals were were harmed <laughs> during the filming so uh,
2: yeah i mean this film is actually i was surprised to when i looked this up it's still rated 18 there's actually quite a lot of violence in this movie for what what is effectively The kind of film, like you were saying, that you could watch when you were younger and Mm -hmm. be into all that stuff. But it's pretty violent. I've got the BBFC ratings guidance here from when it was last classified, which was for the Blu-ray back in uh, about five years ago. So um, the film includes strong bloody violence, including a man's head exploding bloodily when shot and blood and matter spraying when a man's head is hit with an axe. And then also... Strong injury detail includes lots of blood at the exit point of a metal pole protruding from a man's body, and copious blood flow when a clawed hand stabs a man in the eyes. So yeah, it's pretty full on this movie, more than you might expect for this for this genre. But maybe not well, f- because not if, not if you've I mean, seen Sergio Martino's films before.
1: Well, see, that's just it. I mean, I always go back to. Looking at this, uh, the, the the two biggest templates for this movie and for this genre are always going to be Escape from New York and The Road Warrior, the, the second Mad Max film. And both of those movies are R-rated for their, for their content. And so I think it was generally felt that if you soften the violence in these movies, people are going to not accept it. And that may have been true, I think. Uh, this was, of course, a different time when... I mean we've gone through different cycles since then don't get me wrong but at the same yeah. time um, softening the material uh, generally would was almost always seen as a surefire way to make sure that your audience was going to rebel and the that word right. of mouth would be bad you know people would not uh, recommend their friends to go see it because this one doesn't have you know the the good bits the the the, the parts that you, you really remember the violence and things of that nature so I think they have probably felt to a degree they had to do this kind of stuff um mm. or they'd
2: lose they'd lose their you know their perceived target audience. Yeah, and the effects are good. They just I think because I wasn't I just wasn't expecting it to be quite so extreme, I suppose <laughs> that's <not> my <laughs> surprise. But yeah, the uh the special effects are quite impressive. And they've got the uh they've got like fun sort of laser weapons and all that kind of sci-fi stuff as well, um, and there's doesn't. I was trying to see in the credits. So there's nobody, as far as I can see, that's specifically credited with doing the special effects. Yeah, not um, that I'm aware of. Which is a shame.
1: Um, yeah, the, the the although you know some of it, some of it's quite quite impressive. I just I don't know, yeah. I don't know why we don't have more of a conversation about the people who are involved in making it. But it's true. Mm.
2: Yeah, completely uncredited. Speaking of credits, we should also mention Ernesto Gastaldi is involved here. I was going to bring who, that up
1: because this is yet another, yeah, you know, another another legend. Yeah, Ernesto Gastaldi is someone I know we've talked about before. Um, he had a hand in um, writing the the Savage Three, which we covered a while back. But uh-huh. he did he he he. First of all, we may never know the number of scripts that he just doesn't get credited on across yeah. the across the time of his career. But yeah. the uh, the films that we do have his name attached to are just so impressive. I mean, first of all, <clears throat> let's talk about you know the fact that uh, you could start in '84 with <laughs> around the same time he was working on this, he also was working on Once Upon a Time in America <laughs> for Leone, uh, which that, that little film, yeah, yeah, which is a, a, a strange a strange thing to take note of. But he he wrote The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist suspicious death of a minor uh, gambling city almost human he did my name is nobody which you know is one of the the great uh, you know well-known spaghetti comedies uh, one that even I can enjoy somehow so <laughs> uh, and the uh, you know tor- you know he'd worked for Martino before for tor- doing torso and all the colors of the dark mm-hmm. it's um, you look at this man's career, He he wrote Day of Anger, for God's sake. This man knew what he was doing. And um, Long Hair of Death, uh, Whipping the Body for for Bava, uh, Horrible Dr. Hickok for Freda, uh, Vampire and the Ballerina, if you want to go all the way back to 1960. Gastaldi is one of those guys who seemed to be, first of all, he was very good. And so I almost always attribute the and uh, in, in, in interviews you can see him kind of joke about this. I always attribute the things that I think are weakest in a film that he wrote to other people, just because it's it's almost it's almost something that I I want to believe is true. Is like, well, you know, Gastaldi was smarter than that idea, surely. Yeah, but,
2: but who knows? He kind of laughs about that kind of stuff. I'm not sure. Yeah. No, he's great. Another name, just quickly while we're on credits, it's worth mentioning is the music um, credited as Oliver Onions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we would, of course, know them better as the De Angelis brothers, uh, Guido and Maurizio, and they did You're *The Hunter from the Future*, yes. and just a whole bunch of stuff. There, they, a lot of good uh, keyboard action back in the '80s, and like Tarantino, has reused their music and stuff like that.
1: I, I, I actually went through a period where uh, I kind of turned my nose up at their work, but it was a very brief period of time. It was when okay. I was. It was when I was. <laughs> Getting irritated that uh, producers were going on the cheap in a lot of movies from, yes. from that period, and just you know hiring two guys to to, noodle, guys to noodle on keyboards. But honestly, yeah. I, I've grown out of that rather I, rather childish view of this stuff because they're so <laughs> incredibly talented, and I just get so yeah. much of a kick out of their out of their music. I think it's a blast.
2: I mean, for me, they they will always have my undying love because they did the music for Dogtanian and the Three Musker Hounds. Which was a, which was a show. I loved that show when I was a kid. I'm young. I'm a bit younger than you, so I was the right age when that was out in the '80s.
1: Oh my
0: lord! Uh, You must know that one.
2: No, what do you mean? I must know this one. One for all, and all for one. Muska hands. That was yeah. <laughs> That was like compulsory viewing in the 80s if you were a certain age, and it was repeated all the way through the decade, I think. Wow. But yeah, so they've done a lot of stuff. The Last Shark, Iron Master. Oh, yeah. Blade in the Dark. We're going to hear them again in Atlantis Interceptors. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Yore, which you and I... both spoken about extensively many many times
1: (laughs) I'll be honest it was it was it was the score for yore that really kind of made me uh, made me realize that I was being a ridiculous stick in the mud about their (laughs) stuff because there's just there's no way to not have fun
2: with the score with that score it's
1: just incredible I love it so much
2: yeah the the score for this is good I mean basically I, I this is a really quality production um, there's a lot going on like we said before there's a lot crammed in a lot of ideas mm. but it, I think it holds together quite well I mean in the book they describe it as a, uh, a bit of a hodgepodge at the crossroads of pop culture taking inspiration from elements from a variety of sources a bit of Mad Max 2 Hints yeah. of Planet of the Apes A Dash of Star Wars and Sleeping Beauty but they, they you know despite that they um, and also what could be quite you know basically a plagiarized plot but they reckon it turns out to be quite a good film and I, I would agree despite the really obvious use of miniatures and the very recognizable plot elements I, um, I I don't know what it is I just really enjoyed this one, the motorbikes the sudden outbursts of violence um, the, bon- <laughs> well, the bonkers plot the Star Wars stuff, there's just a lot going on
1: Well I think one of the reasons you may enjoy it is probably the reason that I've i i i think i've always enjoyed this one is that much like enzo castellari sergio martino understood how to maintain a straight line through the film mm-hmm. you know there's never a point in the movie where you feel like you're unaware of where we're going uh of what's happening uh, the, the, he he keeps things not just moving but relatively focused we're always aware of what the next goal is and where we're going and how we possibly might do it unless he wants to, you know, unless there's a, a little hidden surprise that they've got, you know, up their sleeve. And so much the same way our last film, we could see that Castellari is able to, able to to marshal all of this stuff and focus it down. Martino is able to do that, do that here as well. Now don't get me wrong. This movie has uh i think has a few more rough edges than uh our last movie uh this Mm -hmm. one feels a little more like um certain elements needed to be possibly better explained or maybe a few spots where you're thinking well we could have that could have probably been done better you know like 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 you know for instance the the, the the scene that I now absolutely love, but when when I first saw this movie years ago, the scene where they ride up to the outskirts of New York City and we look out over the uh, the flat pond at the cityscape of uh, New York City, it's like that, that that that's a spot where I'm just like, okay, I'll, I I now know enough about how these miniatures are done that they needed to set up a couple of fans to blow the water so it looks like it could possibly be an ocean instead yeah. of you know instead <laughs> of a bowl of water. But the, uh, the, 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 the charm of it now wins me over, even though I still feel that that's, you know, one of the elements that you kind of have to forgive the movie for not having, uh, not having the, uh, the, uh, the skill level involved on that particular thing. But it's so fun. The, the, don't get me wrong. It's adult fun. I mean, we've already talked about the level of violence Mm -hmm. in the movie. There's no, there's no getting around that, but the, um, the, uh, I always I always worry about this, and this is something I, that I probably will bring up again with a couple of these other movies that we cover. There's a certain fear that I have that my my enjoyment of these movies is going to revolve around a certain amount of nostalgia uh, about how I enjoy these because I not just enjoy the genre, but because I have fond memories of when I first saw them, and uh, that that's not happening here. This is this is one that I think really does stand on its feet it's it's mm-hmm. good it's solid i think you could probably introduce this to a modern audience and they would enjoy it yeah as long as long as you know they weren't hidebound by the fact that this you know any film that they watch has to be you know <laughs> made in the last 10 years yeah. um and believe me there are a lot of people like that mm-hmm. wow that's an old film that came that came out in the year twenty thousand and five uh anyway the uh yes. but but this is a this is a fun one. I don't yeah. think and th- this will be something we probably return to. It's not my favorite. Mm. But it's a it, but it's a it's a good one. It's not mm. one I would put at the top of the list, but it is one that I would, okay. you know, put on that uh that list of 10 <laughs> that we're yes. doing here and say, "No, this one's worth your attention."
2: Yeah. Well, we will uh, at the end of the season we shall rank them all and see where it sits uh again but yeah this is a great film definitely worth uh worth digging up the the blu-ray uh wherever you are i'm sure you, you can find it still easily available over here in the uk 88 films put it out i don't know i didn't look it up to see who put it out in america but i assume it's out there
1: oh i think it's been put out a couple of times yeah. the most current Damn blu-ray i think is from code red and blu-ray. there are a lot of a lot of great interviews on that disc too mm. so
2: yeah, check it out. Well, thank you, um, Rod, for, for doing this again. Now, last episode, I mentioned the fact that I'd looked at the emails for the first time in forever. And then I also said I would check out uh, reviews. And it turns out we have some reviews on Apple. Oh, my that I've goodness. Never, want, I've never seen I want, before. I want to hear these? <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Well, I think the problem is Apple puts the reviews by country. So I've only, like on my phone, when I look at our podcast, I just see the UK version but i happened to look at the american page this week and i found we did have some reviews including one going as far back as um may 2021 so quite early in the podcast hmm. so i'm just gonna so we've got four here that i'd like to share with you there's one from somebody called atx horror this was the first episode it says the podcast i've been waiting for listen to the intro episode and immediately subscribed after hearing what they have planned for the show, can't wait for more episodes. Oh. Well, thank you, ATX Horror, for giving us that review two years ago. <laughs> I hope we haven't uh, disappointed I, in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're still listening. Um, and then uh, last year, so we've got a few, a couple last year, Billy Dunleavy says, Wild indeed. Adrian and Rod are a good team and cover some obscure but very interesting and fun films. Thank you very much. And then we've got one that says, new favourite podcast. This is my new favourite podcast. Wow. wow. After listening to tons of YT, oh, YouTube channels and podcasts where all they do is crack jokes and talk about Independence Day for the 10th time, I finally (laughs) found something with more depth, substance and love for filmmaking. Adrian and Rod are very knowledgeable and love all kinds of film and nerdery, but are not snobby about it at all. I always come out learning something new and appreciate all the films they talk about. Thank you. That's that's very nice, yes. And finally, we had a review just uh, a couple of weeks ago from somebody called It's Alright, I'm a Doctor. And (laughs) (laughs) they describe us as a classy duo. Uh, It says they are knowledgeable and can enjoy imperfect films worth checking out. So, hey, thanks very much. Reviews are... I believe a really great way to help other people find and perhaps listen to the podcast. So that is much appreciated. Ratings and reviews are something that every, every podcast you listen to asks you to uh, leave a rating and a review. And I have to confess most of the podcasts I listen to, I never really get around to it. So I totally understand (laughs) those of you who are listening, who've never done it, but Hey, now I know where to look. I will try and check that a bit more often and read them out. Um, where i can but yeah thanks so much it's really great to hear that people are enjoying what we're doing yeah thank you very much for the kind words and finally we had another email since the last episode from kurt toy which is probably spelled uh, pronounced wrong sorry kurt he says dear adrian and rod i seem to be stalking rod across all the podcasts he's part of (laughs) oh yeah Um, he probably is yes no matter what my motives, I'm enjoying your visits to less talk less talked about genres of Italian cinema. And then he says, in brackets, what genre, sorry, asks in brackets, what genre didn't the Italians do? I mean, that is a good question. Mm. That is a, I don't think that there is a, I don't think there's a single no. genre
1: that they didn't tackle at some point. Yeah.
2: yeah. So then he says, thank you for adding the 10th victim to your list of dystopian movies. That's a favorite of mine. And it was good to hear some context about director Elio Petri investigation of a citizen above suspicion is the only other film of his i've seen and now i'm motivated to check others out and then he brings up a film that we could have included in this season but i but we didn't he says i'm wondering if you have any thoughts about the seed of man from 1969 it's definitely post-apocalyptic it's a late 60s movie that's more interested in themes than plot Hmm. but i found it engaging and there are some beautiful scenes are you familiar with this one the seed of man No, I don't know this film at all, but... uh... I know know I've read about it in the um, Italian sci-fi book, but no, I haven't seen this one. He says, a young couple are forced to become refugees from a continent-wide plague. They find a beach house to isolate themselves. This is sounding very familiar. Then have conflicting views over whether to have a child. They also encounter a dead sperm whale and a live French woman. I'm glad he clarified that she's alive. <laughs> it's very different from where post-apocalyptic cinema ended up going, except that there's an explosion at the end. Uh, yeah, intriguing. This says, director Marco Ferreri made some other provocative type movies like Don't Touch the White Woman. I've been too afraid to check that one out though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of this no. film before. This is a mm-hmm. new one on me. Uh, yeah i'm a little daunted by the running time it's just it's just shy of two hours in length okay
2: it uh, does seem
1: it does seem like a very interesting film i don't know how easy it would be to see but uh yeah. yeah yeah definitely on my uh definitely on my radar now okay
2: yeah uh he so then he says i look forward to the rest of your tour Uh, presumably meaning tour of the apocalyptic wasteland. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, thank you, Kurt, with a K. Uh, Much appreciated. Uh, It's great to to hear that you're enjoying what we're doing and that we've helped you to discover Iliopetri a bit more. So that's the kind of thing we're here for. That's our service is to uh, help people find cool stuff.
1: Just, Just part of the service, sir.
2: Yeah. Somebody called Jason also got in touch um, just to send us a link to a YouTube doc, a video on YouTube of a documentary about Bronx gang culture in the late 70s. Oh. Um, so it it would appear he says it wouldn't be surprised if it served as an inspiration for Fabrizio De Angelis in creating the Bronx Warriors. So it's called 80 blocks from Tiffanys you can find it on YouTube and I did tweet it out as well. I've had I haven't had time to watch the whole thing but I've had a look through. It's pretty cool. It's yeah, you know, it's right there. It's like a time capsule of what the Bronx was really like in the late 70s. So um, interesting. Okay. Really worth checking out for some additional kind of social background to the, the Warriors and the Bronx Warriors especially. So very cool. Um, finally, before we finish, I'm going to try and remember to do this more often. Next time, we're going to do Endgame. So if you want to play along at home, that is the next movie we'll be talking about in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, fairly easy Which to is, get hold of. It's recently yep. come
1: out on Blu-ray over here in the states. So.
2: Yeah, and brings us back to Joe D'Amato again. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: yeah, and oh, i not thought about that. Yeah, that's that's a that's a detriment for some people. But hey, <laughs>
2: is George Eastman in that one as well? I feel like he's becoming our spirit animal.
1: Oh my goodness, um, is he? He might oh be my I goodness I don't think I don't
2: think he's in, in okay game, maybe right? Joe gave him Joe gave him a week off very, po-
1: very possible yes yeah, very possible <laughs> of course if he turns if he turns up in it we'll have to we'll have to uh, we'll have to bow our heads in shame but mm-hmm.
2: yes it's becoming like a drinking game yeah. <laughs> it's a <truly> George, <laughs> George Eastman's in a film again <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway uh, well thank you everybody for listening um Oh Brad, no, he is in it. Hey. George Eastman is in it. There you go. And so is Al Cliver. Oh good. Yes. Oh yeah, Ramir, he's in that. He's also in uh Warriors of the Year 2072, I think. Al Cliver. Oh, I'm glad anyway. I'm glad
1: I thought to look that up yes. because I I would feel very embarrassed. Every everyone remembers Laura Laura Gimser's in it, but you know
2: mm-hmm. the men wow. tend to fade into the background in the mind for no good yeah. reason.
1: I can't imagine why. I
2: don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why that would happen uh good so plenty more to look forward to um oh and i also did after popular demand create a letterboxd uh, list of all the films that we've done so far this will be film number 31 on the list wow. so um yeah so look us up wild wild podcast on letterboxd uh, i've also tweeted out the link this past week if you want to follow us on there that would be fun um what else can you do you can get in touch with us by email which i'm now looking at more regularly and you can tweet us we're also on instagram uh you can buy us a virtual coffee um and that's always nice when people do that thank you very much um and yeah let us know what post-apocalypse films you like as well because you know as rod said there are plenty more that we haven't fitted onto this list so maybe tell us about some of the films that uh that you like that we're not covering
1: yes yes yes
2: yeah either way it's always nice to hear from people to know that we're not just uh void shouters as we talked about <laughs> last time that it's it's, ve-
1: it's very easy to fall into that trap yeah. yes
2: <laughs> that there are people at the other end anyway thank you so much everybody for listening and thank you rod for being here and for uh apologies for the um Time zone confusion this week, but
1: we—America uh, is such a strange and weird place <laughs> that we we cannot figure out how to sync time clocks across <laughs> continents. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, but hey, once I think probably once the apocalypse comes, um, we'll all just go back to sundials. So it'll probably be
1: fine. <laughs> we'll just all run it, walk out, stick a stick a a branch in the ground, and and judge yeah. it that way.
2: Yeah, so we should be okay then. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will be back again soon with more post-apocalyptic fun. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.